Our sense of sensuality evolves so much in our lifetime. Every woman has had both positive and negative experiences when it comes to sensuality. You've likely been impacted in different ways in every decade of your life. Today, Paula Carlton and I are delving into this fascinating topic as Paula provides incredible tips and suggestions for embracing sensuality in your life. Hello friends, it's Missy and this is my podcast. This is me at 50. Let's chat about what it looks like and feels like to go from your best life in your 40s to an even better life in your 50s while navigating hormones, perimenopause, and menopause. Let's talk about finding balance over perfection, nourishing your body in the role nutrition plays, healthy movement, who you should surround yourself with and why that matters, anxiety, hot flashes, concentration, focus, sleep, cooking, relationships, and friends, all the things. This is me at 50. Now, before I move on, I want to make sure you're getting all of the best information because I love sharing. As a professional health coach, I'm passionate about educating and providing quality information with the goal of creating a healthier community. So be sure to check out the show notes and sign up for my authentic wellness mailing list. This is an awesome resource for recipes, upcoming events, and more great information on ways that you can create that healthy lifestyle that you want. Just click on the link to sign up, or you can also sign up by visiting my website, AuthenticWellness.net. And as a great bonus, I'll send you an awesome freebie for joining my community of fun. Welcome back to Paula. Thank you so much for coming back. It's wonderful to talk with you again. What are we talking about today? Oh, it's so (laughs) nice to be back. (laughs) <laughs> I'm glad the first episode was well received too. And I, I myself continue to listen to your podcast. I actually was just doing so before I came here and I was thinking, okay, Ryan in the six second hug. And I just kept waiting. What's coming after the hug? Wait a minute. What's going to happen the next day? What's going to, what is he going to want the next day? So that's kind of what we're talking about today, but it just was a hug, which was great. Um, so I'd love to hear that. Uh, while I outlined those five S's, stillness, strength, satiation, socialness, and and sensuality. Number one on the topics that your listeners wanted to hear about was number five, sensuality. So that's our number one topic today, and I'm excited to talk about it. Fabulous. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was actually, I was a little bit surprised, I think, actually hearing that. I thought, what a wonderful opportunity for us to delve into something that we do need to talk about what comes after the hug, right? Mm -hmm. This is wonderful, and I'm excited to hear all the things you have to say about it. Yes. So what do I mean by sensuality, and why would it be a vital variable in health span and potential lifespan? Sensuality, which of course can include sexuality and intimate relationships, both essential to our individual and collective well-being, is a complex and sensitive topic. So first, let's define it. Sensuality is, by definition, the enjoyment, expression, or pursuit of physical pleasure. And yes, this can certainly apply to sex, but so many other things as well. 
Some define sensuality as that base word sense, the ability to completely enjoy all of our senses, including the smell, the touch, the taste, the sight, and the hearing. And when we're able to kind of sit back and just truly be mindful of all those senses, how pleasurable that can be for us. Sensuality is not always about being connected to another person. We can be sensual by ourselves and also with others. But who am I kidding? I do not think sensuality was picked as the number one topic people wanted to hear about because they wanted to know how sensual we could be while looking at the trees in nature. The fact is women want to feel sensual with their own self and when they're with their partner. Some may use words like sexy or feeling passionate, and many, especially knowing that 40% of women have an actual sexual dysfunction, just wish they could have a better sex drive and or are hearing that complaint from their significant other or spouse. It is a word that right away causes a feeling reaction Maybe it causes a little blush to the face or a feeling of excited energy, or unfortunately, some can have a sense of disconnect. So today I'm going to focus on the many positive sides of sensuality and much as it relates to sexual health. I'll briefly touch on dysfunction though as well, as that's very important to discuss. This topic can cause some trauma to surface for some reason or for that, and for that, I'm, I'm sorry if that happens. So please remember, all of this is open to discuss with your trusted healthcare professional, as none of this information today should be taken as medical advice. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. 40% of women have an actual sexual dysfunction. That number to me surprises me. Yeah. Seems like a big number. It is it a really big number. Is. Yeah. So... How do we connect with our sensual selves? Yeah, this five S purely should start from within. So it's important that we start by examining where we're at right now. It's so important to accept and appreciate your body and mind at this stage in life. I mean, let's think about it. We're talking about this is me at 50, yeah. which means that with each decade of our life, if we really just sit back and think about those decades, what we've experienced, what our mind has experienced, the values that may have been pulled onto us through those experiences or that allow us to grow, and then also what our body has gone through the hormonal changes that our bodies have gone through. Maybe some of us have had uh, different sexual experiences along the way. Uh, maybe uh, some of us have had one child, 10 children. That changes our body. And then again, this transition into menopause and what happens through menopause, both physically um, and emotionally we have likely been impacted in many different ways over these decades. As a matter of fact, this certainly can be a good time to just really reflect on that and understand what that has done to us over the years and what that has done to our perception of sensuality. 
understanding your own thoughts on this topic can be so important to discern. A positive or a negative sensual mindset can be multifactorial and include current or past physical health, psychological health, as I've said, certainly including our own body image um, and the complexity of the relationships that we've encountered. I mean, Sigmund Freud, right? He was spot on. He suggested that human behavior is influenced by unconscious memories, thoughts, and urges, which all impact our id, ego, and superego. So idea number one is start with you, where you have been and how you authentically feel now. I love the idea of actually taking and thinking about sensuality at the different phases of life. I think for us to actually sit and do some reflection, mm -hmm. absolutely, I think we would start to see how it's shaped, mm -hmm. how we feel about it now. It's a fabulous journaling topic yes. for sure. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of times people will say to me that they want to journal, but they don't know what to journal mm -hmm. about. And so I can see where this would be a wonderful opportunity to really do some reflection in looking at sensuality, not only with maybe romantic partners, right, but also um, tapping into kind of how you started, which is your senses of all of the things around you mm -hmm. and how that is maybe has shaped who you are today or your thoughts and beliefs. Mm -hmm. That's fabulous. Mm -hmm. While sensuality can end at, hey, I feel fantastic in this dress today, there can be physical components that women and their partners are very interested in hearing more about. So let's talk about the physical aspect of things. I mentioned as a teaser in the prior podcast this fact. Men have up to 10 times more the amount of testosterone that we are given on any day. That is just one major difference between females and males. Testosterone certainly serves many purposes, with a major one being libido or sex drive. And we would not want to have that much testosterone in our system because we would have male pattern hair growth, deepening of our voices, hormonal changes like that influence our cholesterol and so on. But there may be times like in menopause where because of what testosterone has done for us all along, where we might require replacement of that. As we go through menopause, not only are we losing our estrogen, which we hear about a lot, uh, but we're, hearing, we're losing our testosterone, potentially. Estrogen all along, these are known as the sex hormones, and it's really important to differentiate these sex hormones when it comes when when we're talking about sensuality. There are a lot of other hormones in our system that do many other things. Insulin, we've talked about, prolactin does things, oxytocin does things. There's a ton of different hormones in our system. But these sex hormones really are there for ovulation. They're there for vaginal lubrication. They're there for uh, potentially even because they're closely connected to our molecules of emotion, our mood and how we're feeling. And this estrogen, what estrogen really does is it serves as the purpose of wanting to care for someone else. And then we have this e 
itty bitty amount of testosterone that is also present, let's say it's at 25 if we check a level in the blood, again, versus our male counterpart, which might be 600, but that serves a purpose. And those two together, along with progesterone and DHEAS, all serve purposes on the impact of our physical and mental health. So as these decline, we could potentially think about replacement of these at various levels and in various different ways, depending on the complaint that a woman may have. It is not often that just testosterone is given as a replacement. Usually, uh, the first replacement is going to be estrogen, and then there's going to be a consideration for testosterone. But it depends, again, on the complaint and what the woman has noted uh, from this perimenopausal to menopausal time frame. So would it be with these three sex hormones when, when we're still having our period, right? So through perimenopause, the week before my period, I think I can eat anything on the face of the earth. Sure. And so, you know, <laughs> yep. and each of the, each of the weeks, there's something different. Mm -hmm. Is this an indication of those hormones being at different levels or how is that connected? And does that flow into menopause? Like, is that an indicator of maybe what you might see at an accelerated level or a different level once you go into menopause. Yeah, so when you look when you look up what happens to our hormones during a regular cycle, which, you know, is around 20 to 30 days, right? Halfway through that cycle or at, by definition 14 days before you get your menstrual period is when you ovulate. So when we look at these three hormones in particular, we're looking at an ebb and flow of our of our estrogen, usually the time of ovulation, there's a little dip in estrogen, and then it starts to go up and then go down again. And then we have our progesterone that usually follows its own cycle. And then we have our testosterone. Our testosterone is pretty consistent all along the way. It doesn't have as big of a variable. So when usually women will start to notice when they ovulate, those changes in our hormones that are starting to maybe cause some premenstrual syndrome symptoms. And during perimenopause, sometimes it's because there's a greater disconnect between your estrogen and your progesterone level. And that can create more of those symptoms of, I don't like how this feels. There could be potentially hot flashes that start to develop at that time. And of course, we know that these symptoms could even be up to seven, maybe even 10 years that they could start prior to actually the menopause, which is the cessation of the release of the egg and no menstrual period for a full year. So we can get some variations that occur for a while before that. And we certainly know that that fluctuation in those hormone levels can lead to some uncomfortable symptoms. Sometimes as we, as you mentioned before, sometimes do journaling of this, though a greater awareness of that can be quite helpful. And that can cause what we would term as is this menopause, but I still have my period. So it, this perimenopausal time can cause many of the symptoms of 
menopause, or that would lead to menopause. Then once we get to menopause, then all those levels technically drop down. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're not ovulating anymore. Mm-hmm. There's no egg to be released. There can be, but not as great of a fluctuation. I start to kind of base it a little bit more on the moon cycle. I still think we all kind of cycle in some way. Well, um, and isn't it amazing? The moon cycle is 28 yeah. days. Yes, right? it's 20, right. exactly. it's, it is amazing how they mirror. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I really I really feel like they, we still could go through some cycling. And if we did a good job of keeping notes and keeping track, that we probably would notice something. But technically, our hormones are not supposed to be varying as much anymore. We will have some estrogen. And depending on our fat percentage uh, amount that we have in our body, we might have more estrogen uh, than than typical. Um, we will have some progesterone and we will have testosterone. Not every, it, what, what's interesting about it is even though we don't get a lot, we don't necessarily always get a big drop in testosterone. But how do we know this? Because many people don't really check their hormone levels. We go by what's on the chart. We might go by what is on paper. And we may or may not go by what actually a level would be from a saliva test or a blood test. It all depends on the healthcare provider that you're seeing um, and what your preference is, because of course anyone can go out and get a hormone level test if they would like to do that. I actually started a couple years ago, I started tracking my cycle. Yeah. Initially just out of curiosity, because mm-hmm. I had heard about it and they had the little cycle tracker app. So yes. I thought, I'm going to do this. And as I started to do it, I did start to notice patterns mm-hmm. and I started to notice how I was feeling mm-hmm. usually about the time I started ovulating and I, I started to be able to connect it with my mood. Mm-hmm. I connected it with kind of anxiety, mm-hmm. sleep patterns, mm-hmm. um, cravings, all of these things. It started to actually really show itself once I started tracking and I found it very insightful mm-hmm. and I didn't really take it to the level of knowing which hormone was driving it, really what I did with it was say, okay, well, I know that typically, you know, about this time of the month, I'm going to feel more tired. Mm -hmm. I'm going to feel a little more depleted. Mm -hmm. I might be a little more sensitive. So I actually just started changing some of the day things in my daily habits, right? And I, I looked at, okay, well, what's my What's my exercise routine maybe that specific week? And do I need to incorporate a little more yoga or Mm -hmm. Mm self-care or more soothing practices? And I used it that way. I never really took it to the level of, of looking at the hormone changes and shifts, but absolutely that's what was driving it. Sure, Sure, right. Yeah. Yeah. And what's so what's so closely connected as you've identified to that is while we we also have molecules of emotion. So we have these molecules of emotion like serotonin and dopamine, Mm -hmm. and they are, whether we like that or not, very closely closely driven by these hormonal fluctuations that we have. Mm -hmm. And that's just how we're created. It's the first Mm -hmm. question I will ask God when hopefully (laughs) I get to heaven someday and go, why did you do that? that? (laughs) But 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 it's so important. And it just speaks to how 
we don't always have to answer these questions with hormone replacement. Sometimes it's an awareness of how our body and our mind are interconnected and how if we just raise our awareness to that by journaling or however you're going to do that, um, you might find some really good things that you can do. I think the only other thing I would add to that that I did uh, is to let my people know you know, oh, where I good. may be at. <laughs> hey, heads you know? up. We're hitting yeah. day 19. Yeah, all right. I, I might exactly. be a little angry. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, so I think while it's good for yeah. me, it also might be really important for other people to recognize my work people, my friend mm-hmm. people, my family people. Well, uh, and I love that because too. it all goes to, instead of fighting or feeling mm-hmm. like we have to fit into a box, mm-hmm. it's okay, no, let's step back, have some self-awareness mm-hmm. and just try to really connect with our rhythm and support our body with what it needs yes. at the right time. Yes, right, exactly. And give others a heads up. Yeah, and, really gives, and give others a heads up. Yes, absolutely. That's and right. know that, of course, there are mm-hmm. different stages yeah. to that. So I, mm-hmm. you know, I in my practice see all sorts of, of, of people, and some women may have mild symptoms of that. Some women may have no symptoms of that. Some women may be quite distressed there might be some true dysfunction that is that is occurring in their life as a result of that. And there's all different ways of approaching right. each of those things. Well, and that was actually, as you were talking earlier, I was thinking, well, how do I know I have hormone dysfunction? Mm-hmm. How do I know? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, dysfunction, right? Uh, dysfunction to me is a medical term, you know, that we put on something so we can diagnose a condition and potentially intervene with it. You yourself could really come up with, is this dysfunctional for me? Is this disrupting my day? Is this disrupting my work day and how I'm focusing and and my ability to do things? Or what is happening? So you define if it's dysfunctional. Just like when we talk about, and we'll talk about that next, when it comes to female sexual dysfunction, there may be a woman who has never had an orgasm, but she is just fine with that. There, She's not going to define that as a dysfunction for herself. We in the medical world might define it if she has stated that, but if it's not a bother to her, then why do we have to label it as a dysfunction? Partly it comes from you, and then, of course, it can come in the medical world by questioning and understanding how is your body working and is it working okay. As we're talking about dysfunction and as we get back to the sensuality piece, again, over the decades, things have changed. And certainly, this is an important topic to talk about when it comes to perimenopause and menopause, because a lot of physical changes can be occurring in our body that we're not even really aware of because that is not something that we necessarily had talked about. We're just starting to notice. So one of the things that is really important with those hormonal changes is recognizing, and I know you've had Jordan on as a guest, because quite frankly, some of these issues can be pelvic floor concerns that we're having. Let's say that we're having pain with intercourse. So maybe our thoughts are, I don't want to be doing that anymore. We're having urine incontinence issues. What if that would happen during intimacy? You know, those types of concerns may be occurring. And so recognizing that our pelvic floor health, 
our core health and strength can be very, very important. When we lose our estrogen level, when our estrogen level goes down, a lot of things happen. The estrogen, and I'll just I'll just point out estrogen in particular, the estrogen in and of itself is there to provide support to our pelvic area. And that includes vaginal support. That includes our bladder health. That includes the walls in between our urethra and our vagina and our rectal area. All of those things can change with a lessened estrogen level. One of the most common complaints that we'll get in addition to urine control issues will be vaginal dryness or what we would term vaginal atrophy. And I always feel the important thing to point out to women is that not only is there maybe a lack of lubrication that can occur during that time, but a lack of elasticity that occurs. That vaginal area once potentially had a baby come through. And that was very, very important for that area to be very elastic. And that was certainly our hormones being involved in that. Now, without that estrogen, we might have that dryness. And then also this this tautness that happens, you know, this lack of movement that happens. And so we could potentially apply all lubrication that we want. And still, for some reason, it's still not comfortable. And so there are ways that, of course, we could address that if that is a concern. And that can be things like estrogen and testosterone replacement. That can be uh, Jordan working on pelvic floor. That can be your own practices at home with what is happening to make sure that there is not pain uh, during the active intercourse, for instance. So all of those things being pulled together and the conversations, again, that need to take place with yourself to recognize what's happening to your healthcare people, if there's a concern with that. And of course, with your partner, if you're being intimate and this is now becoming uncomfortable for you. So that in and of itself really needs to be something that we can address. There are non-hormonal ways of addressing that as well, as I hope I had had said before, not mm-hmm. everything is answered with, mm-hmm. uh, with a hormone. So mm-hmm. I can see where, and I will, I will say, I have quite a few people that do say that kind of their late 40s, early 50s, there's a shift that happens sometimes in their relationship with their husband. Mm-hmm. And I do, or I, I, I can understand how if something is painful or uncomfortable, mm-hmm. absolutely we're going to shy away from it. Mm-hmm. And I would think that that would be maybe for some people a hard thing to bring up a hard discussion to have, whether it be with their partner um, or even, you know, with a doctor or a medical person, that's a, that's a sensitive and private thing for people I'm sure to bring up, but how important because it doesn't have to be that way. And there are solutions. Correct. Correct. And it's not only our body that's physically changing, but our mind certainly is influenced uh, through that. So while our partner might not be noticing as big of a testosterone drop, 
our body and our mind is changing in many different ways. I think it's very important, hopefully, that you're going to a healthcare provider that's asking those types of questions for you so that you can have those open, honest discussions because uh, certainly it's something that we do want to address. I came across something the other day that I thought was really interesting, and I myself have been married and for 27 years. I think I said 26 on the last podcast, and I think Todd corrected me. I'm like, oops, sorry about that. Yeah, 27 years. We've been together for a long time, and let's remember, we met each other when we were 17. Things in our brains and in our bodies were quite different back then. So I thought... I just said to him, let's just talk about sex drive on a scale of one to 10. Where are you at? Where were you at? And, and that was a really great discussion because number one, we have changed tremendously over the years and that affects both of us in our relationship. And it was just an easy way, scale of one to 10, 10 being you know, major and zero being none. And let's talk about this. And sometimes what gets a little confusing is how the body functions versus where the mind is at. And so for a woman in particular, let's say she's having pain, of course, the feedback to the brain is going to be, well, this is no good. The man's brain works in the opposite direction. I still am going to think about this. Let's see how my body reacts to that. And so while you might come at it from two different directions, it's still a really great conversation to have and might lead to, all right, how do we move your needle maybe closer to my needle? And how do we work with this and recognize that this is going to be a different stage in life? And also realizing that they do these wonderful studies and they do say that, all right, sex doesn't have to be necessarily a three time a week, a one time a week, a whatever number you want to put on it, there can still be great satisfaction in a relationship when we're talking about, let's get back to the word sensuality and not just sexuality or that part of our relationship. So taking a step back and looking at ways of how do we still be sensual with one another, because this is the uniqueness between the two of us that no one else in the world shares with us. And how can we keep that going in our relationship? Turns into really good conversation if you're ready to have an open discussion about it. I love that. I love when you said this is something that the two of us share and mm-hmm. nobody else in the world. Because you're right. You're mm-hmm. right. And what a wonderful opportunity to to shift. Because I do think sometimes we just get caught up in life mm-hmm. and we expect that all of the things that used to work or the way we've always done things should work. Mm-hmm. And we find it time and time again in all areas of our life that life is about change and evolution. And it makes perfect sense that our connection and our sensuality and our feeling of how are we living in a space with our partner or with ourselves where we are being 
aware of our sensuality, that of mm -hmm. course it's going to change. And of course things are going to be different and being open to having that conversation. That's a hard conversation, I think also to have, even if it's with a partner, right? Mm -hmm. So having a, a level of trust, I think would be really important. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. It's very good. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. okay. And it's a good time to be sure that as a woman, you understand your anatomy. It's incredible to me. We, we go through classes. We learn about these things. We read about these things. I think the world is different now with social media and how people get information. But it still is surprising to me that sometimes a woman may not understand her own female anatomy. And what is the purpose of this? The pelvic floor area is unique and different than anything else in our body or even in our in the male counterpart body. It has 7,000 nerves. It's, it's an incredible, I think the male body has in the pelvic area has 4,000, they estimate. So we're, we're loaded with good nerves in that area, but also it could be the opposite, not so good nerves, painful nerves. And so recognizing that if we went through a surgery, they cut through those nerves, things might be different. If we carried triplets, those nerves might be different. If we had an injury, we went out rollerblading and we smack dab landed right on our bottom, things might be different a little bit. So all of that could impact those nerves, recognizing that we all have a little bit different structure when it comes to the vulva and the anatomy and understanding how our anatomy might function differently than the next. But just knowing what is this? How does it work? You know, wh why is this happening? All of that becomes super important, I think. And, and lastly, I'll just say that we call these sex hormones for a reason. There is a purpose to them. The purpose is potentially getting pregnant and, and, and conceiving and, and having a child. And so, and then there is a dip in the hormone levels. And so there might be then a drop in what that purpose used to be and where you're at right now in life, which I think I know we've said, but I just wanted to kind of say it in a different way too. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had somebody come in and ask you and say, okay, I really don't understand my anatomy. Is that a question people ask? That's a, it's a wonderful question that people ask. And absolutely, I will go through that with them. And I even have Women say, I think there's something wrong, you know, with my anatomy. I, as I had said before, there are some women who haven't been able to orgasm, who haven't, who have always had pain. There are disorders like vaginism and spasming that can happen that are related to those nerves. So really understanding your own anatomy and really looking that there is this clitoris that might be sitting underneath a hood that you might not even be able to see and how important that is when it comes to pleasure. And that is not inside of our vaginal vault. That is on the outside. It is placed on the top. And that, that serves very, a very different purpose than any other structure in our body. And the only purpose that it serves is pleasure. And so to understand that and to understand how that works and to figure out ways to connect with that 
if you are so inclined to do that. So yes, I think it's a great question to ask. I, I know that there are certainly other things that can happen, blood flow issues, medications. There's a lot that can impact uh, really how that area works. Just like men come in with erectile dysfunction concerns, women can have the exact same thing. For some reason, men, it, and, and there is good reason behind that, I will say, that men have medication that may be able to fix that women, they've gone through studies. So we're talking about medicines like Viagra, which basically what they do, they don't increase our libido. They don't improve our sex drive. They help out with blood flow. So when, for instance, when a man comes in and says, I, I'm having some erectile dysfunction concerns, our first thoughts are, Ooh, blood flow. Are they having any other blood flow issues? What is their blood pressure? Are they a smoker? Do they drink alcohol? Do they have any blockages in their heart? It's all blood flow issues. Women, clitoris, same thing can happen where there's impairment of blood flow. We as women, very interestingly, we don't have, have much as an, a nitric oxide type of uh, supply in our body. And that is what medications like Viagra really help out with is that improving that blood flow by delivering that nitric oxide. So we don't respond as well to Viagra unless we have had a surgical need for it because of a hysterectomy or something else where there's been that type of flow change. But otherwise, we've tried it before. I've, I've tried to prescribe it before and, and there's been only a handful of women that have good results with that. But yeah, we, we can have very similar issues that occur. We just have different anatomy and we might refer to it in different ways. Sometimes asking those questions you might, you know, like I think if I went in and I said that, I'd probably be like, okay, I really did pay attention in school. Yes. But it's been like 30 years. And so right. I don't exactly remember the chart. Right. And so to be okay and humble enough to ask that question can mm. really open the door for wonderful conversation. Mm. So, yeah. Let's talk about the relationship. Okay. <laughs> All right. So now let's think about the relationship. So we first talked about ourselves and our sensual selves and reconnecting with that. Second, we really talked about physically what might be happening with us and how we can better understand that. And now let's talk about partnering with someone else and how we can better understand that. We've talked before. We know that in a male-female relationship, we might be wired differently. And of course, we're generalizing. Yes, women, I know there are people out there like you that have a great sex drive and it's better than your husband's and I am envious and that's wonderful. But for the majority of women, we tend to hear the opposite. We tend to hear that their sex drive is not that as strong as their, their male counterparts. So number one rule is you have to like them, <laughs> right? So, and of course, we all love our partners endlessly, a day in and day out. Um, but do we always like them? And so for some reason as women, because we are hormonally connected to our molecules of emotion, that sometimes drives us being too busy to even accept a six-second hug. Mm -hmm. 
there are so many things that might be wired in our brain. And we've seen, we've seen that pictorial before where there's like, you know, 80 different things that are going on in our brain. And then the, the man's pictorial is, and again, generalizing, here's the box. (laughs) That's what their thought is. Here's the next box. That's what their thought is. And so it can be hard for us to take a step back, to relax, to focus and then also to be like, hey, I love you. I, I want to be in this relationship with you and in an intimate way. And we've heard about things like love language. And I know there's something about when my husband empties out like the dishwasher vacuums. I'm like, whoa, all right. <laughs> this is great stuff. Like, I don't know why that excites me, but it does. Mine is folding the laundry. <laughs> yes, you put the towels away. Yeah. You got me. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so there's something goofy in our wiring, but it works. And when it does, it's magical. So that's good. Anger can certainly be a big interfere. So it's important to have good conversation. It's important to recognize in that relationship that we're wired differently and that we may approach this in a very different way. And it's often a wall that disqualifies when when we're angry, crucial conversations and connection. That is a really important piece. It's important to underscore that and make sure that we're addressing those things. It could be simple. It could be other things that are happening, like the lack of privacy that might be occurring in our household. They might simply be looking for, let's place a lock on the on the bedroom door, you know, those types of things that may contribute to a more ease and relaxation that may happen. And I know that many who have it an established regular date night where you can actually pull yourself away from all of those extra duties is really important. Even better vacation where you don't have to focus in on what's happening at home, what's happening at work, and really you can focus in and reconnect with one another. I think that's a really important piece. For instance, or our relationship, we've we've been in a relationship for married for 26 years, in the relationship together for 30, 32 years. Sometimes newness is important. Sometimes learning from each other, learning different things, doing different things might really bring back a spark to the relationship. Certainly menopause in some ways forces you to be different and to think creatively or to think differently. So again, sitting back and having those conversations, very important. I'm a fan of date night. Yeah. Yeah. We do that once a month and it's, I look forward to it. Mm-hmm. And you know, ours is my husband just said the other day, he said, ah, we have a date in a couple of weeks. And I said, we do. And we're just going to the, the luminary walk when oh, at the, oh, nice. they do a luminary walk. Yes. It doesn't have to be some big fancy thing. Just a, a nice walk mm-hmm. on a trail with mm-hmm. some candlelight. Yeah. He'll probably hold my hand yeah. and it will be wonderful. Yes, and, exactly. you know, I think we learned quite a few years ago, we have to make it a priority, mm-hmm. right? To find ways to connect mm-hmm. and do those things for each other. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, life just gets in the way and you're right, you forget. And mm-hmm. it's so important. And yeah, I love date night. I think that's wonderful. So good. Okay. Good. So would you say if you, when you have people that come in that 
talking to you about these topics and issues. Are there uh, books or things that you recommend to them to help them just kind of keep things new and interesting or learning? Yeah, I, I love. So the most recent book that I really, really have loved is Come As You Are by Emily Nagowski. That book really talks about the history of sensuality and sexuality. She really gets into the anatomy of things and then how to approach your relationship. And she is a, I believe, a neuropsychologist by background as well. She also has extra training through the Kinsey Institute, which is another super resource to go to, an online resource. That is basically the Kinsey Institute is where they do all sexual health and wellness research. So she is trained through the Kinsey Institute. It's a fabulous book. Several years ago, and I'm talking back in the Oprah days, Oprah had on the Berman sisters. They're both physicians. One is a urogynecologist and one is a psychologist. And I think they did a fabulous job of raising awareness for female sexual health and dysfunction. And they've written several books, particularly Laura Berman, who is the psychologist, has written several books that I think her sister, Jennifer, who is the urogynecologist, who really focuses in on the pelvic floor and menopause and treatments. So their book, For Women Only, A Revolutionary Guide to Overcoming Sexual Dysfunction, functioning, reclaiming your sex life, and real sex for real women, intimacy, pleasure, and sexual well-being. And then who could have a talk about sex without mentioning Dr. Ruth? You have to. She is a pioneer uh, when it comes to sexual health. So she has a great book, Revving Up the Romance, Passion, and Excitement. Dr. Ruth's Sex After 50 is a really great resource as well. I'm going to probably be purchasing all of those yes. because I love it. I love reading and yes. I, I what wonderful women to be to be paving the way and pioneering the way for these conversations because yes. they're so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Is there anything we missed? Well, I'll just end with yes. this. So let's go back to that other definition yes. of sensuality again. The base word sense meaning connecting with all of our senses and sitting back when we do and connecting to that feeling of pleasure. You know, that's really what we've been talking about. And pleasure can be something that we feel from so many different things. We can, that can come from ourselves, that can come from our bodies, that can come from connections with others. And it can just come from conversations and nature and, and so many other things. So I'm I'm hopeful this talk on sensuality has helped open the door to some conversation. I am very hopeful that if people have questions or concerns, that I'm all about getting little messages. If there is a question out there, otherwise, please reach out to your healthcare provider as well. It's Thank wonderful. you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. And that's a wrap, my friends. What an incredible conversation. I cannot wait to explore more of Paula's S's. 
I hope this episode was helpful for you. If you like what you heard, I would really appreciate it if you sent it to a friend or shared on your social media. If you think there's something in here that can be helpful for someone else. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, I'd love for you to leave a positive review and rating. Until next time, my friend, I wish you all the best that life has to offer. Make it a great day. Today's episode is sponsored by Plantonic Cafe. Plantonic Cafe is 100% plant-based, offering fresh-made juices, smoothies, and foods using only organic ingredients. Everything on their menu is dairy and gluten-free. Their mission is to provide a safe and comfortable environment for those who suffer from food allergies or sensitivities and help everyone improve their health and live their best life possible. They're located in downtown Hartford at 46 North Johnson Street and can be found online at plantonic.com.